Hey guys, we're on week number four of this series, Frequently Asked Questions. And what we did is we put, the, put it out there and said, hey, what are some questions that you have, that you guys have about where the Bible comes, where it speaks on some things and, and different things. And this was the last, one of, last message in this series. And the question that we're going to attempt to answer in our allotted time here is um, a question about religion and denominations and and um, you know Jesus being a Jew and all of that and it is it's a big topic but and we're going to do our best to, to answer that and you know in our allotted time so hey the the church that that you grew up in or if you didn't grow up in church maybe the church that um, a friend went to or a grandparent went to whatever that church is for for you um, it most likely looked nothing like Stuggard Harvest Church. And the pastor, he most likely looked nothing like Harley. <laughs> and that's okay. The church that, that I attended growing up, it may not look like that church either, you know. Uh, just thinking back to the church that I attended growing up, when you walked in, it was kind of like walking, stepping back in time 30 or 40 years and now that I think about it, it kind of smelled like it, too, <laughs> a little bit. A little must. A little bit, a little bit. Um, uh, the music style, it was, well, it was, it was a lot different than, than what we, we have here. Uh, the, the worship service and, and the way the message was delivered was different, too. Now, the gospel, the core of what we believe and how we get to heaven, it was the same. Um, that, that never changes. But there were a lot of differences, and I remember there being a lot of, of these and thous when Scripture was read, and even when people prayed. Uh, the, the pastor, he kind of he seemed mad all the time, um, and I, to be honest, I didn't understand a whole lot of what he, what he said. I did sleep a lot, though, so that might have had something to do with it. Um, but don't get me wrong. These people, I believe they absolutely love Jesus, though. I really do. Uh, my point is, um, what I've just described is that the image of what I imagined or the image of what church was supposed to be like. Uh, and I had that image well into adulthood. And before coming to Stuttgart Harvest Church, if you had an image of church in your mind, uh, wherever that image come from, it was probably shaped by a Christian denomination or, or the traditions that went along with that denomination. Um, and the de denominations can range greatly, um, and, and there's a lot of them. I didn't realize this, but there, there's a guy, David Barton, that does research on this kind of thing, and he says that there's almost 9,000 different flavors or different types of denominations. And that's just crazy to me. Where did they all come from? How did we get to that point in church history that we're at today? And without going into a long church history spill, the short and long of it is that we can't get along. Um, Christians just, they have a hard time getting along sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of denominations come about because of disagreement over interpretation of Scripture. And what happened is th there would be a different disagreement, and then there would be contention on that disagreement. And eventually that contention would grow, and then there would be division, and historically Christ followers have just not done too well with that. And, and some churches have, or denominations, they have majored on some, some minor issues, maybe on worship style or 
uh, a doctrinal issue or, uh, you know, prophecy or healing or something like that and, and called, caused a big deal out of it and, and caused division, division. Others have maybe let legalism slip in a little bit and, and caused some, some real problems. Legalism is simply adding rules or a system of rules to what the Bible says. Um, so you're adding something to what the Bible requires. And legal, legalism would say this, Harley. It would say, to be spiritual, if you are going to be spiritual, then you must avoid all tobacco, uh, no dancing, so Gondam styles out the door, um, no uh, R-rated movies. What about Whip the Nene? I, I, the whip the nene was new to me. Brooke, Brooke was telling me about this the other day, and I was like, I don't know what that is. Oh, they were going to call it whip the har har, but it just didn't roll off. Right. The I was like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, honestly. Um, but legalism would say no R-rated movies except if it's the Passion of Christ. Oh, then, true. then you can watch it. Then you can yeah. watch it. Um, but the, Harley, the good news is that the church are, you know, they've been dealing with this kind of stuff for a long, long time. Yeah, long time. These divisions, in fact, we can trace it all the way back to 20 years after Jesus died. So, I mean, these were people who were around when Jesus was teaching and he was there. He, they were around when he died on the cross. They were around when he rose again. Just 20 years after he rose again, we find the division beginning. And uh, they, they were meeting in Jerusalem, and they said, we need to talk about this problem. We need to talk about this division. We, we've got to make a decision on this. It was a big topic because the people they were talking about were people who were not Jewish, which is most of us here today. Um, and so they were talking about us eventually. And um, so some thought that since Jesus was a Jew... Um, and Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior, then in order to follow Jesus, then one had to become Jewish and follow those Jewish traditions. 600-plus laws, that's a biggie. And including in that a small and painful procedure surgically for the guys. And so they were very interested in the outcome of this. Um, the believers then didn't have the Bible as we have it today. They had the Old Testament. They had that part. Um, so they didn't have the writings of the New Testament. And so as they speak of Scripture and things like that, they're speaking of the Old Testament. These Christ followers in this first century, those who were the disciples and followers of Jesus in the early days, they had a faith. Um, and it was not a faith in the Jewish law, but they had this amazing faith that would cost them eventually their jobs, it would cost them their livelihoods, their status in society, it would cost them, many of them, their very lives. What could cause someone to have such a faith? What foundation must have been there for them to have a faith that would take them to the point where they could sacrifice their very own lives because of what they believed. Well, let me give you some background here on me and us. We believe at Sugar Harvest Church that the Bible is true. We believe that 
the Bible is inspired by God, that we can trust what's in the Bible to lead us, to guide us, and the Holy Spirit can use it to change us. We believe this. But there needs to be something in your life and my life that is a better foundation than the Bible. Now, before you throw your Bibles at me or your <laughs> cell phones with the Bible app, that would really hurt. Make sure it's in a life-proof case, though. I have a hard head. Before you throw those at me, let me tell you what I'm not saying. We're not saying that the Bible is not true. We are not saying that the Bible is not important. We just want you to understand that these first century believers had a faith, a foundation for their faith. If you peeled back the layers of their faith, it didn't end with Scripture. You could peel back a couple more layers and you would find something very critical. They believe that Jesus really did. It's a historical event that their faith is based on that Jesus really did die on the cross and he really did rise from the dead. That's why they called them believers because they believe that. And if you look at their lives, that is the rock, that foundation of their faith that would give them the assurance that they could give up and lose some of these things in life, and even, yes, their very own life, because that was their foundation. If we make the Bible the sole part of our foundation, we are not saying the Bible should not be a part of your life, a vital, critical part. But if you peel that back, there should be another layer there. If the Bible is that final layer for you, here's, here's the problem with that. Somebody comes to you and they say, you know, I, I was reading the Old Testament and there was this passage and God was angry and it appeared that God was really mean and he did some horrible, unfair things to these people. And I, I can't serve a God who would do something like that. And you say, well, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do with that. And then you go home and you begin thinking, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe that's not the God I thought I was serving. And you begin to have this crack in the foundation of your faith. But the foundation of the faith of these people that we're talking about today was a historical event that said Jesus really did die on the cross for me. In fact, they saw it with their eyes. And he rose again three days later. And many of these people who are gathered at this meeting we're going to talk about, many of them saw that with their own eyes. Interesting. So the Bible, yes, it is God's inspired word to us. And yes, it plays a significant role in our lives but if you dig down a little deeper into your faith, the rock of your faith needs to be this, that you are a believer, that Jesus died for you, and three days later he rose again just as he predicted. And that's what these early believers believed. And because of that, and because I believe that, and because you believe that, God is still changing lives today.
Now, let's jump back to this meeting that we're talking about, this division that was going on, this problem. We're going to look at it, Acts chapter 15, verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church. Now, this whole church, by the way, is in Jerusalem. Well, this was the center of the Christian church at that time was in Jerusalem. And in fact, this church was led by the brother of Jesus. His name is James. James was really, he was a big shot, a, a humble, but a very important person. Even though in our Bibles we just have this one little teeny little bitty book by James. James was a big deal, and he was leading this whole thing right here. They reported everything that God had done through them. This was Barnabas and Paul, verse 5. But then, as they were reporting, but then some of the believers... Now notice, these are believers. They believe that Jesus really did die for them, and three days later he rose again. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, and if you remember, Paul was also a Pharisee. But he didn't agree with what they were getting ready to say. Some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees the Pharisees obeyed every single law to the letter. It said, they stood up and they insisted. The Gentile, that's you and me, anyone who's non-Jewish, the Gentile converts, these people who have begun to follow Jesus, they must be circumcised. There's that surgery I was talking about. They must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. In other words, they just jumped straight to the point. They said this. This was a big deal to Gentiles. The point was this. They've got to follow this law just like we do as Jews. They need to follow it too. Jesus was Jewish. He was our Messiah. He's our Savior. They need to do as Jews do. They need to follow the Jewish law if they're going to follow Jesus. This is a big deal because depending on how this meeting goes, determines how many of you need to go to outpatient surgery tomorrow. <laughs> Verse, you're interested now, aren't you? Verse 6. So the apostles and the elders, they met together to resolve this issue. So the church leaders got together, James leading everyone. They got together to resolve this major, major issue. Verse 7. At the meeting, after a long discussion, I bet, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God, has cho God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles. In other words, he said, I'm, I, God chose me to go speak to everyone who's not Jewish so that they would hear the good news and believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus really did die on the cross. And three days later, he rose again. Verse 8. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles. He has confirmed that he accepts them and loves them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, just as he did to us Jews, Peter is saying. 
And he gives them all of the Holy Spirit, not just a Gentile portion. He doesn't save a Jewish portion for you because you're Jewish and give them just a little bitty taste of God, just a little teeny itty bitty little Holy Spirit to live inside of them because they're Jew Gentiles. He said, nope, that's not how it works. Verse 9. He made no distinction between them and us, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. In other words, he said there was only one thing required that they believe. Just like for you, that you believe, he was saying to his Jewish friends. That was it. God didn't add anything to it. He didn't, uh, he didn't make it more difficult. He, he didn't add anything. No laws, no rules. Just believe. You believe, God's Spirit, you got it. All. Makes that sound too. Yeah. <laughs> All. Every bit. Verse 10. So, fellas. I added fellas. <laughs> Why are you now challenging God. In other words, guys, if this is what God required and if that was good enough for God, sisters, it's good enough for you. <laughs> so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke? Now, I like this word yoke because for us, we get this mental image, don't we? of like two oxen and a yoke in between them and, and being connected and that being burdensome and that being tough. And it does give us a great picture because that's where our mind goes. But let me give you some history on this because that's not at all the picture that he is talking about. That's where our mind goes and it would be appropriate. I mean, it's okay because that fits. But let me tell you what this word actually means. When he says yoke, He's not talking about a physical apparatus that is placed upon an animal. He's speaking here to Jewish men. And they understood when he used the word yoke, here's what he meant. Anytime a rabbi, which for them would be like a, a pastor for us, anytime a rabbi would teach, he would be teaching what he believed the scripture, in this case the Old Testament, was meaning. So he would say, here's what the Old Testament says, blah, 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 blah. And then he would say, here's what that means. It would be kind of similar today to uh, Donnie or Cole or myself reading a commentary written by a pastor. The pastor would take the scripture and say, here's what God said, and, then, and here's what it says. And then he would say, you know, here's... here's Let's break this down. Here's what I feel like this means. What that rabbi taught as his interpretation of what the Old Testament scriptures meant, that was his yoke. That's what that word meant. It was his teaching. It was the rabbi's yoke. And if you were to follow, become a disciple of that rabbi, that teacher, a follower, a student of that teacher, that rabbi, then you would carry his yoke. That's what that meant. Does that make sense? It was the rabbi's teaching. 
And in this case, that teaching was very heavy, very burdensome, because here's what happened. They would take the Old Testament law, all the laws, and they would say, here's the law. Now, this is what you have to do to fulfill this law. And they would add all these little steps and rules and regulations. That's where we get all this legalism. And the Pharisees followed them all to the letter as best they could. Let me give you an example. So one of the laws was uh, you cannot work on the Sabbath. And so the rabbi read that and he said one of them would say, well... If you want to fulfill this law, let me tell you how. And they would say, well, let's see. Um, you cannot pick up a chair and carry it from this side of the room to that side because you have worked. You have labored. So don't pick anything up and carry it. In fact, then they would say, uh, let's add to that. Not only can you not carry that chair across the room, but you know what? You cannot, uh, if you're in the backyard and you're set up for a picnic, because they had a lot of those? They had a lot of picnics. They, they did. I, actually, I don't know. I have no idea if they had a picnic. But if they had a table set up in the backyard, they said, you know what? The rabbi said, you cannot pick that table up and drag it across the yard at all. Not even a foot. Because if the table leg went across the ground and broke that ground, made just a little dent or a little dragging a dirt mark in the dirt. If you made a mark, you, you have plowed the ground, <laughs> and that was work. You understand what I'm saying? And so they would come up with rule after rule after rule after rule, and it was contained in these giant sets of books, rules, scrolls, all written down. And if you were a good... Jewish person, you kept the law and you kept all this other stuff. And you can imagine how burdensome, how heavy that teaching was. And it weighed them down. That was their yoke, the yoke of that rabbi. And so Peter here is saying, why are you challenging God? Why are you challenging God? And saying, no, 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 what you did, God, is not enough. You need to also follow all of these teachings of these rabbis. You need to do all of this plus be a believer. Why are you making it burdensome for these people why are you saying they have to carry that yoke, that teaching of all these rabbis? God did not require that, Peter is saying. Do you, do you recall this phrase, Jesus in the New Testament? Jesus saying to the people, bring me your heavy burden, bring these things to me, because my yoke is, do you remember what he said? It's easy. It's light. He wasn't saying, my oxen, they're going to have a light load. It's easy over here. No, he says, my teaching, my under, as I teach the Old Testament to you, because he was a rabbi, right? As I teach the Old Testament to you, 
my understanding of it is light, is easy. Because Jesus said, I wrote it. I wrote it. <laughs> See, the speakers agree. <laughs> he wrote it. So back to Peter. He says, why, why are you challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? In other words, he says, you know what? You're asking these people to do things that I, we failed. We couldn't do it. You want them to do it? We couldn't do it. Peter was talking to these people who were Jewish, many of them Pharisees, and he was like, you were raised with this. You were raised under this yoke, this teaching. You couldn't even do it. If you want to be honest, you didn't even like it. Verse 11. We believe this, Peter says. We are all saved the same way. Not by the law. We are saved the same way by undeserved grace. And it comes from the Lord Jesus, not the law. In fact, I, I know people today who met yesterday on the Sabbath. And they say this, you have to have Jesus and you have to fulfill the law. Peter's addressing that and said, no, nah, that's not the case. Listen, it goes on. Verse 12. Everyone listen quietly now is what happened. As Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. In other words, Barnabas and Paul, they were saying, listen, look, see what God has already done. I mean, see what he is doing among us. And in these people who are not Jewish, they are not following the Jewish law, but yet... God is changing their lives, and God is entering their lives through the Holy Spirit, and God is not placing new demands or new rules or new laws upon them. He's not adding to anything. Remember, he's uh, as if Peter's saying, I mean, Barnabas and Paul are saying, remember Jesus said, my teaching is light, my yoke is light. You've been burdened by following all of this stuff, these interpretation after interpretation of the law, and then James the brother of Jesus, the leader of all the church at this time, the church in Jerusalem, the big church. James stands up, and in verse 19, he says this. And so, my judgment is, and he had the right, the position to make this call. And so my judgment is this, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He said, we don't, we're not going to make it difficult for them to make it to Jesus. We're not going to make it tough. We're not going to add things that God has not added. We're not going to say it takes Jesus plus you got to do this and this and this and this. This phrase, we should not Make it difficult for people who are turning to God. That phrase, 
We should not make it difficult for people who are turning, who want to, need to, or trying to turn to God. We should not make it difficult. That phrase is why Stuttgart Harvest Church is here today. That is why. Because we are trying to not make it difficult. And no, we are not doing it perfectly. Yes, we've made mistakes and we will make some more. But we are doing our best one day at a time, one step at a time, to not make it difficult for people to make their way to Jesus Christ. We really are the perfect place for imperfect people. We are trying to do just this. This is all we're trying to do. To teach ourselves and to teach you to love the Father. That's what we're trying to do. To love the family. That's you, the church family. To love each other. We're trying to do that. And to love your friends. And we define friends as any person, anyone who is not yet connected to Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. In fact, some of you got a test on that Friday. To love anybody, any person who's not yet connected with Jesus. We're just simply trying to do that. Every single thing about this church, about our structure, about the way we have designed it and planned it, it is because we are trying to make it easier for people to connect with Jesus. We're not adding any steps. We're not adding anything to say you have to repeat this or say this or do this. We're just simply trying to strip away traditions after tradition after tradition that we have added that has made it difficult to make your way to God. And to get back to this, do you believe? We're trying to make it easy. We're not trying to make it difficult. We're trying to make it easy to get to God. Everything about us, our style of music. We have different bands that play, and the bands even have different styles of music. But the fact that we have chosen to not have a, a, a traditional church style of music is because there's nowhere in most of your lives, and for me, for sure, I know for me, where I listen to that style of music when I turn on the radio, when, when I have it on a CD, when I have on uh, a record on my record player <laughs> or on my 8-track. I don't listen. I don't listen to that style of music. And that, there's nothing wrong with that style of music. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But we are trying to make it easier for you to understand the words and the lyrics and to connect with God through the music because of the style we've chosen. And that doesn't say that we are better than someone else. That we ha No, it's just we have chosen to not make it difficult for you to make it to God and understand in our worship, in our adoration, our love for Him through music because it sounds like something maybe you have heard in this century. The music that we play when you're walking in to this movie theater 
and the music we play as you're walking out. It's strategic. It's selected on purpose. And not all of it is even Christian music that you would hear on a Christian radio station. Some of it is, but not all of it. And that is strategic. It is on purpose. Even the slides that we place on the screen that are scrolling through as you walk in in the mornings, we choose those pictures and we choose those words and those phrasing and the topic. We choose those strategically on purpose so that we can do our best one little step at a time to not make things difficult for you to make your way to the presence of God and for Him to have an impact on your life. We are trying to not get in the way of that. The videos that we choose to use. Some tug at your heart emotionally. Some give you information. Some of them we just simply put in there to make you laugh. And it is strategic. It is planned. The style of our clothes that we wear on Sunday, it is strategic. It is planned. I know it looks like I just rolled out of bed and this looks like a pajama shirt. I know that. And it doesn't match. And it doesn't match. We talked about that this morning. I, I, I know these things. And it is strategic. It is on purpose. To help lower walls that have been built up over years of tradition and expectation of this is what church has to be. And if you're going to come to God, you have to look like this and be like this. It's on purpose. My, my hair. No one aspires to this. Well, there was this one guy on my vacation on the beach a couple weeks ago. He aspired to this. It was the guy that put out the beach chairs and the umbrellas. We had a conversation, and I came back to the second day, and he's like, look, I got three dreads already. <laughs> Went home and worked on Nobody except him aspires to this. But it's on purpose. It's strategic. You can look back at my Facebook page and see how my hair has changed in different times, in different ways, in different places, for different, but all really for the same reason. It's why we have a cafe outside. The cafe is there strategically to help lower walls, to help lower uh, anxiety as someone comes in. Sometimes you put a Coke in somebody's hand or a cup of coffee in somebody's hand and a snack <laughs> they just feel better <laughs> it's as if they can they can walk through a room of people they don't know and they're afraid to meet because they can hide behind some crackers <laughs> it really works <laughs> it's strategic we have we have name brand sodas and Cokes, strategically, we don't use great value Cokes. Strategic. It's not because we don't like Walmart. It's not because they took the Confederate flag. It had nothing to do with Walmart or being political. 
It's because we want you to know that we think you should have a Mountain Dew. <laughs> We're going to spend an extra 20 cents so you can have a Mountain Dew and a Dr. Pepper. It's strategic. It's not random. It appears to be random, but there's thought behind it because we are trying to create an environment where you feel at home. Because you're important to us. We value you. It's why we meet in a crazy place like a movie theater. How many people have told you, you can't do church in a movie theater? I was talking to a guy this week, inviting him to church, and he's like, where is it? And I was like, it's right. he's like, beside the theater? No, in the theater. He's like, in the theater? In the theater. Yes, in the theater. You can't do church in the theater. Well, actually, they're right. But you can be the church in the movie theater. And that's what you are. Yeah. That's why we do strange things like have, have a church app on your phone. It's not so that we can be cool. It, it's so that we can be strategic, trying to make it easier for you to connect with God. It, it's why we do things on Facebook and church texting. It's not to be cool with technology. It's to make it easier for you to make your way to Jesus. It's why we have an amazing children's, and I can say this, the most amazing kids programming miles and miles and miles away here. We have the best. Why? It is strategic. Not just strategic for your child so they can connect with Jesus. That, that's part of it. You know what a big part of that is? It is so that you can trust us enough to have your child being taught about Jesus and how much he loves them and he wants to be their best friend forever so that you can be in this room with us uninterrupted because let's be honest, if your child is with you or beside you or in your lap, you can't, you can't pay attention. I mean, you get a little bit here and there, but you, you, you miss most of it, right? And then here's the extended, more painful truth to that. Not only are you interrupted, but so is the entire room. And that's why we have, it's strategic. Everything we do is strategic to make it easier for you and your family and your friends to connect with Jesus. It's why we use connection cards instead of having people walk down an aisle. Everything we do, the goal is to make it easier to, for us to not get in the way, for us to not make it difficult for you to turn to God. And so James goes on speaking in verse 20, and he says, Instead... He says, we don't want to make this more difficult for people to turn to God. Verse 20, instead, we should write and tell them, this is to the people who are non-Jewish, so here's the part we need to know. He said, here's what we need to tell them. 
abstain from eating foods offered to idols, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from eating meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. These were all things the pagans did. He said, abstain from that. We're not going to add anything to this. God is enough. And then they say, let's write this letter to the Gentiles. And James says, greeting. And he says in verse 24, we understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teachings, but we did not send them. In other words, he's saying they are not with us. What they are saying, saying you have to add all these things, no, not from us. You believe that Jesus died and he rose again. That's what you need to do. Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, to God himself. And because it seemed good to him, it seemed good to us to lay no greater burden on you than this. And he gives them that tiny little paragraph. He says, yeah, we're not talking about these 600 laws and volume after volume after volume of interpretations on what those means, uh, what that means and how you have to live it. No. No. You need to believe that Jesus really died for you, that he rose again in three days, and God's spirit, all of it, is going to move inside your life. So what does that, what, 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 is, what should we be doing as a church uh, about this? James, the, the brother of Jesus, says this. Don't make it difficult. Don't make it tough for those who are coming to Christ. Don't add all these rules and regulations and your opinion of what it means to follow Jesus. Don't add. Don't make it difficult. For people trying to experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. And many times, as I have grown up in church, and I did, the churches that I grew up in, they, many, if not all, without intending, they were making it more difficult. The gospel itself, that's tough enough. The bottom line here, you don't have to be in a denomination. That's not what we're talking about. You have to be in Christ, a believer. Donnie, what does all of this mean to us? Right. So what is the, the personal application for us here some 2,000 years later? Um, and it's this. If you are a follower of Christ, it means that you have a personal responsibility. We don't just have a responsibility as a church, but we have a personal responsibility to not make it difficult. For the people who are exploring the claims of Christ. Think about this. Think about what, if you're a follower of Christ, what got in the way of you experiencing a relationship with your Heavenly Father? What got in the way of outside of the gospel? Sometimes the gospel, like Harley said, it is hard enough. 
You know what, Donnie? It's, uh, some of those very things are, are what drove you to Stuttgart Harvest Church. Right. Because you heard just maybe there's a place where I can fit in. Right. Yeah. So, so hopefully some of those have been removed. By the way, we just do church. Some of the things like feeling like an outsider, not understanding. Hopefully we don't have that problem of not understanding what's being taught on Sunday morning. Um, feeling like maybe you've been being talked about and not to. Maybe some of those things have been removed by the way we do church. And we understand that some of the things you have no control over, you just invite your friends and they come and sit beside you and you pray that we just don't mess it up on Sunday morning. And you've been inviting them for weeks and they finally are here and you're just praying, please don't, don't mess it up. But a lot of what makes Stuttgart Harvest Church the perfect place for imperfect people is you guys. Is you volunteering your, your time and your, your talents and your resources to make this whole thing come together that we call church. And the bottom line this morning is, as a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility to not make it difficult for people who are exploring the claims of Christ. We just have a few next steps here we want to encourage you to do. And a step A, if you circle this on the back of your connection card, what you're saying is, is you will ask this question. And the question is simply is, what can I do? What is something I can practically do to not make it difficult for the people in my circle of influence? The people in my circle of influence who have not yet came to Christ. See, everyone has people in their life, whether it's friends or family or coworkers, people that God has strategically placed in our life, and it may seem random, but He's strategically placed them in our life. And we have an influence with those people. So A just says, What can I do? What practical thing can I do? And B is just this reading Galatians. Chapter 3, just two verses, 26 and 28, and reading it and talking to God about that. So just think with me for just a minute. What if, what if everyone in this room, just everyone sitting here this morning, what if we all found a way to not make it difficult? What if we made it just a portion of our personal go to not make it difficult in some way for someone? What would be the impact? What would, what would our church look like? What would our community look like? What would be the impact eternally for people? Real people searching for a real God. It's our prayer that we've somehow managed to answer this quite complicated question this morning. Um, I, I would like to pray for you guys and then... Um, we'll go ahead and do the connection card and things. So if you would, bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this uh, amazing truth that we read in this, this book we call Acts. And I pray that we would always be a church that, that preached and taught the truth, but at the same time that we would not make it difficult for people who are coming to you.
people that are trying to have this relationship with you, this real personal relationship. It's in the name of Christ I do pray. Amen. I am glad that you've been here with us today. And I hope you've been encouraged. And I hope as we go about our week that you're going to not make it difficult. Um, on the end of your rows, that's where your giving buckets are. You grab those and just send them down. That's where your connection cards, your giving envelope, your pen, that's where all of that goes. Um, we're going to be out on the porch here in just a moment. We'd love to say bye to you before you leave. Uh, I, I just want you to know that we love you at Stuttgart Harvest Church. If you've been here, if this is your first time, let me just tell you this. Welcome home. We're glad that you're here. And we hope that you'll be back with us. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, even as I pray, continue to have those buckets passed down the aisle. It's not disrespectful at all. We'll be picking those up. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be on the porch, and we want to say bye to you before you leave. You'll catch us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much that you did not give us a yoke, a, a, a teaching that added and added and added and added things that we had to do in order to connect our lives with you. That God, you just simply said, believe. Believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again. God, thank you. Thank you that it is not me, it is not, uh, it, it is not uh, someone who comes to me and, and changes my life, but God, you take my life and you place your Holy Spirit, you yourself, into my life. And then you, for the rest of my life, create the changes that you want to make as I'm willing to submit and surrender to you. But you did not heap upon me requirements for me to believe. Thank you so much for your grace because I need it. And it is in the name of Jesus, that physical embodiment of your grace. In his name that we pray. Amen. Word can fill you.